Hey everybody, it's great to see you. It's good to add my welcome to those that you've received from other folks, and that welcome extends to those of you here in the room and also those of you who are watching online or on the Moon Campus or in the classic venue. Uh, good to have this opportunity to be together. I'm Jeff, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to open up God's Word for us here today. As we do so, you no doubt are very familiar with what it looks like to be a model. We know the influence of models that they can have on people, and sometimes it can actually be very touching to see that. I mean, what's cuter than seeing a young boy imitating his father mowing the lawn, or shaving in front of the mirror, or screaming at the idiot driver in front of him, right? I mean, it's it's just so adorable when you get to see those sorts of things. When Carolyn's brother was a young boy, he was into firemen. They lived in a spot where it wasn't unusual for fire trucks to come screaming by with the sirens blaring, and and he heard the stories of these heroes who would save people and save their lives, and so he just looked to firemen, and he would imitate them. He would, he would play firemen. They even had a, a, he even had a, you know, one of the red firemen's helmets, those sorts of things. And so on one particular occasion, in his imaginative mind, he ran out of the house into the detached garage because in his imaginative mind, it was on fire, and he was going to save the people who were inside. And so he went running over to the garage. Unfortunately, the garage was all locked up, so he couldn't get in, and there wasn't an axe available to you know, chop in the door. And so he did the next best thing. He grabbed a ladder where he could find one, and he put it up against the garage, and he scaled up that ladder to where the windows were so that he could look in on the poor people who were burning up inside, or so his mind was telling him. And because the window was, you know, stuck shut, it couldn't be opened, he did the next best thing, is which he grabbed a hammer and he broke out the windows. And I don't mean he pretended to break out the windows. He broke out the windows. I mean, he was into, you know, playing his whole thing, which was great for the people inside. Now he could save them, but unfortunately, the, the building, the garage was still on fire in his mind. And so he had to do something about that. I mean, real firemen would have put out the fire, so he had to also. So he came down the ladder. He ran over to the house. He picked up the coiled garden hose. He turned it on full blast, ran back to the garage, scaled back up the ladder, stuck the hose inside with the, the sealed garage the hose inside and proceeded to flood the garage until his mommy saw what was going on out the window and came out, and he became the only fireman ever to be put in time out. Yeah, that's what he did. I mean, he was into that. He had a model. He had seen, he had heard about the way that these firemen act, and he'd seen what they do. And in fact, once he went to a demonstration, and so he knew what he was supposed to The model was very effective for him. Now, sometimes following models isn't all that helpful a thing for us. But today we're actually going to take a look at a passage of Scripture where it helps us to understand when it comes to models, there are some that can be followed and should be followed with absolute abandon. And that's what we're going to take a look at. That's what we're going to consider together here today. Today we're going to be looking at the reality that God shows us how to live, that God comes to be our model in the person of Jesus. If you've ever wondered what the Christian life is supposed to look like, if you've ever wondered, how is it that God really wants me to live? Well, you're going to learn that today. 
Today we're continuing on in our sermon series, Down to Earth, where we obviously, in this Advent season, are thinking about Jesus come down to earth, born of the Virgin, come into our world. Naturally, this is something that we celebrate and think about at this season of the year, but this series is going beyond that because it's not just that Jesus came down to earth, it's also this spirit of being down to earth. And if you know somebody, if you ever describe somebody as being down to earth, what you're saying about them is that they're relatable that you can understand them, that, that the things might, they might speak to you are practical and they're understandable, and that's exactly who Jesus comes to be. And what He comes into our world to do is to help us to understand more of who He is and what it is that He would desire of us. And He takes on human flesh so that we might be able to recognize that and learn where He is ultimately desiring to take us. It's in Jesus coming down to earth that God shows us how to live. Now, some people might argue, you might argue, well, well, God is just so far out there. God is so far beyond us that he's really not a very good model for us because he's just too far beyond us. But actually, that just is not true. It's not true at all. In fact, the Apostle Paul makes that very clear when he writes this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul is raising the bar as to how it is that he wants us to live. He says, I want you to take on the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. Now, the place that we find this is in Philippians chapter 2, where we find this exhortation for us. And that's where we're going to be primarily today as we're looking into this text. If you like, that would be a great passage to turn to. Philippians. It's about halfway through the New Testament. It's near the old or near the end of the whole of the Bible. But this is where we're going to be looking primarily today. And this is a key passage when it comes to understanding how we should live. But it goes beyond that because this passage is also foundational when it comes to the whole of the spiritual life, when it comes to understanding who Jesus is, and when it comes to understanding how Jesus lived. And so what I want to do is I just want to read these verses that we're going to be digging into. And if you're a person who's been a part of church for a while, then these verses are going to ring very familiar in your ears. If you're one who has not been a part of church, then it might not be so familiar to you, but it's a wonderful time to be here as we think about the foundation of who Jesus is. If we get down to the basics of what it is that he would call us to do as those who would follow him. And even though it might be a very familiar passage for many of us, it is so deep, it is so full that I believe that there's something here that we can glean, we can learn from, that perhaps we haven't taken away from this passage as we've heard it talked about in the past. So, Philippians chapter 2, let me just read these verses for you, beginning in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on across. The first mindset of Jesus that we see is one of letting go of rights. If you're following along there in the outline, that's number one. Letting go of rights. As Paul goes on to show us the mindset of Christ, he writes this, who being in very nature God. Let's stop right there for a moment. As we celebrate Jesus coming down to earth, 
taking on human form, as we think about him being born of a human mother, it seems that understanding him to be human is something that we really can't miss, right? And if there's an argument about who Jesus is, what his nature is, the argument would naturally lean toward, well, he's human because he fit the categories of the people who saw him. I mean, he was able to walk around, and he, he lived in our context, and he, he ate, and he, he slept, and he drank, and he got tired, and all of those sorts of things. He fit all of the categories of humanity, and so people didn't have much difficulty in considering him to be that. But Paul launches here with a very clear indication and declaration that Jesus is God, Maybe because it's so obvious that Jesus is man to those who are around at the time, he wants to be sure that they understand this right from the start. Matthew adds to this idea that Jesus is God as well when he quotes from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and he talks about the fact that Jesus did come into our world as one, and his name would be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. God come into our world in the form of Jesus. John himself talks about what Jesus had to say. He said, quoting Jesus, he says, before Abraham was, I am. What that is, is a clear declaration on Jesus' part that he eternally existed as God, before creation, before Abraham, before all of that. It's another clear indication of who Jesus is. So, is Jesus God? Well, if the Scriptures are to be believed, yes, absolutely, 100%. Is Jesus human? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Both natures in Him at the same time, not conflicting with the other one. How that fully is to be understood is a bit of a mystery for us and our finite minds to fully grasp what that means. But there is no difficulty in recognizing that the Scriptures tell us this over and over and over again. Jesus is fully human. He was tempted just in every way as we are, yet was because of his divine nature that he leaned into, yet without sin. And though we don't have that same divine nature in the same way that Jesus has it as God, we do have the power of that divine nature available to us. It's in us in the form of the Holy Spirit, who is also God, who indwells all of those who are believers in Jesus Christ. These are declarations we can make and understand that allows us to have the mindset of Christ in how we live and the choices that we make regarding the temptations that would come our way. We don't have to give in to them. We don't have to say that we're powerless against them because we have this power available to us. Paul knew that the steeper hill of belief for most people was going to be that Jesus was God, and so that's where he starts, who being in very nature God. But he goes on, And he adds to that then, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, Jesus let go of his rights as God. He let go of his rights. Well, what does that look like? What exactly was he letting go of? Well, there are many things that we could point to. Let me just highlight a few of these. One of those would be all of the glories of heaven, in the worship that is due Jesus and that he would receive and the honor and the glory that was given to him, he laid all of that aside when he comes into our world. The freedom from human limitations is something else he lays aside. He comes into our world born as a baby, as an infant, and in order for him to be sustained his life, he required other people to assist him. He would get hungry and thirsty and tired 
He would have all of these limitations of humanity. He laid aside his freedom from all of that in order to enter into our world. In heaven, he was king over all. He comes into our world, and he becomes subject to kings and rulers and authorities. Again, we could go on and on. Now, why did he do all of that? Well, he did it so that he could be like us, so that he he could identify with us, so he could work to show us God. He's willing to lay aside his rights to show us who God is, and he does so for a very important reason. Remember here, in this context, Paul is telling us, he is urging us to make the mindset of Christ our own. The mindset of Christ, our own. And if his mindset is one of letting go of his rights for the benefit of blessing other people, then that is a mindset we are called to take on ourselves. To let go of our rights so that we might work to bring blessing and benefit to others. It works just the same way for us. Now, what are some of the rights that you might let go of for the sake of somebody else? Well, you could probably come up with a number of them. Let me just maybe wet your whistle a little bit with this or give you a few ideas. As you think about the workplace, if you go to work, you have a certain hierarchy in the workplace. There's some people who are supposed to act toward you, kind of serve you because you're in a position over them, and there's some people you're supposed to serve because they're in a position over you, and there's just this hierarchy, and you kind of understand it, and you just operate according to that hierarchy. Well, what if you were to turn that around? What if instead of the, the demanding the, the service or expecting the service of people who require, or that's required of them for and toward you, that you turn that around, and you served in their direction, and you met a need in their direction. Or also another thing in our world is just age. There are certain people that, that you should show respect to. This is maybe less so today than it was in a previous generation, but there are certain people just because of age, their responsibilities and deference that we ought to show. Or what about going into like a, a store or a restaurant? You go into one of those places, you expect to be served and to be served well. And if you're not, you're probably going to have some sort of complaint. And we have that. We expect a certain level of service. Well, what if instead of demanding the rights that you believe you have in that store, when was the last time you served a server at the restaurant? No, they're supposed to serve me. Okay. Jesus turns all of that on its head. So those are just a few examples. And no doubt there are others that you could come up with as well. What if we reverse that? I can guarantee you this. In our culture, if you'll turn that around and you'll serve someone that should be serving you, it's going to get their attention. It's going to turn heads. People are going to want to know, why are you doing that? Why are you being so nice to me? And your answer ultimately is because you want to take on the mindset of Christ. You want to live like Jesus lived. You want to demonstrate that in our world. It'll probably open a door for you to share even more about this Jesus that you're desiring to follow and to be like. God shows us how to live, and Jesus coming, and the first thing that he identifies for us here in this absolutely key passage is that Jesus lets go of his rights, and they were called to do the same thing. There's a second thing as well as he goes on, and that's that he came living to serve Living to serve. Obviously, this is related to Jesus giving up his rights, but Paul drives it home further. In verse 7, if you look at it, it says this, Rather, 
He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. When it comes to theological understanding, this is actually a really, really important verse. Sometimes it's referred to as the kenosis passage. And the reason so is because there's a Greek word, kenoo, that is translated here, meaning this, made himself nothing or emptied himself. And this is absolutely essential in understanding who Jesus is and what he came to do. He came and let go of all of these things that were rightly his. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself is what it says when he came to earth. Now, we've already pointed out a number of the things that Jesus laid out, emptied himself of, like his heavenly glory, his freedom from all of those bodily body, you know, limitations, his positional status, all of that. Let me give you another one. Ultimately, he would also empty himself of the faultless status before the law that he had when he took on our sin. And it's something that came with tremendous consequence as well. You can see that in how Jesus cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because in that moment, Jesus is emptied of his sinless perfection. He's emptied of his sinlessness when he goes to the cross and takes our sin there. It's one of the things that he let go of, making himself nothing, emptied himself of what was rightfully his in the way that he lived to take on our sin. That's how significant that this is. Jesus also emptied himself of his divine knowledge. He would have to rely on the Father for certain pieces of information or for power to accomplish some of the miracles that he did. It wasn't that he just had the independent use of that anymore because he made himself nothing, because he emptied himself of some of those things. You might remember that there's a certain occasion when they asked Jesus when he was coming back again. And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. Only the Father knows the time and, and the hour. What is that all about? Well, he's emptied himself of his ability to know that. And that was one piece of information that God the Father didn't see fit to give back to him. Or elsewhere, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. You might have times when you read, you're reading in the Bible and you read about what Jesus kind of says about himself, and, and you ever wondered, you know, is, is he really... God in the same way God the Father is God, because it really doesn't kind of sound the same way. And the reason is because you're hearing him speak out of his limitedness, out of all of the things that he has emptied himself of. That is what you're hearing. You read that verse, and that's what is coming through for us. It's just telling us the degree to which Jesus emptied himself that he doesn't have all those same things at his ready disposal. It's through the Father endowing him in such a way that allows him to engage in those sorts of things that he does that actually look somewhat supernatural at the time. And the reason Jesus did all of this, according to this verse, was to become a servant. A servant for us. I was trying to think of, of another realm that we might consider that that would help us to understand, and I couldn't think of anything perfect, but imagine that you're LeBron James, all right? That means your salary next year is going to be almost $50 million, all right? And that doesn't even include endorsements. It doesn't include appearance fees and all of that sort of stuff, all right? Now, if you're actually going to earn more than that next year, I want you to just kind of go along with my illustration, okay? And I want to talk to you about tithing. But 
What this is talking about right here, imagine that instead of taking your salary that is due to you, almost $50 million, instead of living the luxurious L.A. lifestyle that no doubt he lives, what if you set all of that aside and instead you move to a third world country? And in the third world country, nobody knows you. They don't have television. They don't watch the Lakers. They don't watch the NBA at all. They have no clue who you are. And so they don't esteem you in the way that you're accustomed to being esteemed, in the way that normally everybody fawns over you and gives you honor and wants your autograph and gives you all this attention. Now you're entered into a, a new space where none of that is happening anymore. On top of that, you just shrunk from 6'9 to 5'6, <laughs> and uh, you lost, you gave away all of your ability to play basketball. So all of those things that sort of defined you in one sense are not yours anymore, and you're now living in poverty. Again, it's not a perfect parallel at all, but you kind of get the idea, right? I mean, that's what Jesus did. He leaves heaven. He leaves all of that glory. He leaves all of the things that define who he is as God, as Lord, and he lets go of them to come into a world and engage with people who really don't understand exactly who He is. They don't understand all of the glory that is due to Him. But He comes in anyway. Why? So that He can serve. So He can serve you and me. This is significant. And once again, we come up against Paul's exhortation that we're to have the same mindset as Jesus. That we ought to be willing to let go in the same way that He lets go even of position, even of power, even of status, so that we might fulfill the call, the will of God. Now, we don't do very well with that. We'd far rather be served, wouldn't we? We'd rather be served. And if we're not served in the context where we think we should be served, we'll probably get a bit impatient. We might get a bit worked up, maybe even angry. I was reading about a guy from San Antonio who a couple weeks before Christmas wanted to go out and just have a nice dinner at a nice restaurant. And so we went where many of us would go. He went to Denny's. <clears throat> I'm sure that's where you'd choose, right? I don't know if he had the Grand Slam or what he ate when he was there, but he wasn't very happy with the service. And they didn't bring his bill when he wanted his bill to come. And he flagged down somebody real loud and the rest, everybody could hear, bring my bill and all that kind of stuff. And a few minutes go by and they still hadn't brought his bill. And so he was just getting upset and angry and impatient, so impatient, thinking they should have treated me better than this. He takes out his lighter. He sets their Christmas tree on fire. $150,000 worth of damage. And he walks out, believing that he should be served differently than the way that he was served. And that's naturally the way that many of us operate, right? I mean, maybe not to that extent, but we have this idea that we need, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus comes in, he lets go of all of the things that were due to him, lays it down, empties himself of all of that. And then he says, Paul tells us, that same attitude should be in you. We're to take on that same mindset. We're to live in that same way, which is a major sacrifice. And we find it difficult to do, and we understand why. 
Jesus didn't come demanding to be served, but to serve. We're to take on the same mindset. What might that be for you? How might that look for you? Where is it that you can engage in that sort of service? I'm sure you could come up with any of a number of ways or places. One of them, it'll probably sound a little self-serving, is right here. Right here. It takes hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of people, to carry off ministry here at Pathway. We're always looking for people to jump in and to serve and being willing to sacrifice some of their time so that they might be able to help the ministry go forward and reach more people with the gospel and serve more children. And you, maybe that's one of the places you'd, with a new year coming, if you're not engaged already in serving the fellowship, maybe you'd feel led toward children's or youth or the worship ministry. Or maybe leading a small group or teaching or security or greeters or if you sew, we have a sewing ministry. If you have a gift, an interest, even a willingness, there are all kinds of places that you can plug in. Why not make this year coming the year when you finally say, all right, I'm going to engage. It would be in keeping with the spirit that we find in Jesus who comes and serves and he says that same mindset ought to be in us. He lays down his rights. He lives to serve. And then there's one more thing here as well, and that is that he comes meeting the need. Meeting the need. There's no greater need than, that has ever existed than mankind's need because of our sin. And there's no greater provision for a need that has ever taken place than Jesus' own sacrifice on the cross. Here's the way Paul describes it now in verse 8 of our passage. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That one verse covers a lot of ground. I know that it's maybe very, 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 very familiar to some of you. And so it just kind of comes and it just kind of goes. Well, let's get stuck in the verse for a minute, okay? First of all, the verse fast forwards us in just a few words, 33 years from Bethlehem to Calvary. He did it to demonstrate the full measure of Jesus' humility in meeting the need of all mankind. Now, there is no way that we can really grasp the depth of the humility that Jesus demonstrated because it's just outside of our nature. It's outside of our understanding to fully understand all that he did. Because think about it. Jesus created all mankind. His authority over all mankind. He knows the sin of all mankind. He knows the abuse that all mankind gives one person to another. And what he did is he came into our world willingly to be executed by that mankind. He was regal, royal, authoritative over all of that. And he says, I'm willing to humble myself and come under that and let you treat me however you want. And we did. And we killed him. In fact, we crucified him, which is a humility all of its own. See, Christians today, we have a great affection for the symbol of the cross. And I certainly understand that. But that's not how it would have been in the first century. Nobody was walking around with crosses around their necks or on their wrists or on their earlobes. 
It would be tantamount to us today walking around with a, a bracelet charm of an electric chair. I mean, that's what it would have been. We need to understand the way that it was viewed. Crucifixion was abhorrent in their eyes. And if you saw somebody with an electric chair on their wrist, you know that something is off. The cross wasn't just a form of execution. It was the lowest form of execution. <coughs> it was a reserve for the lowest criminals and the lowest social classes. That Jesus died at all is scandalous. That he died by crucifixion is absolutely abhorrent and incredibly offensive. And we can understand that a little bit, and it kind of brings a little bit more light to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he writes, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. You guys are fool. You're worshiping somebody who was crucified of all things. He didn't just die. He was crucified. And that's the one you're going to follow? Gives us a little bit of a flavor, an idea of exactly what Jesus willingly came to suffer. The depth of humility to enter into our world to meet our need. Even if we can't meet needs just like he meets needs, that doesn't excuse us from the call that's on here, on us here, to meet whatever needs present themselves to us, that we see around us, that we would take on this same mindset of Jesus. The problem is that for many of us, we've already decided the parameters of where we'll serve. We've decided the parameters of the needs that we're actually willing to meet. And we'll go this far, but that seems a little bit out of bounds. Certainly, God's not calling me to go all the way over there. And the idea of actually giving up rights like we saw here just a little bit ago. I mean, that's just outside of our frame of reference. 21st century people, Americans, giving up your rights? Not a chance. That's what Jesus demonstrates for us. We're pretty much settled in our minds that God would only ask us to go so far, and we operate within that box. We operate within that box. And something that's on the outside of that, it's like, well, certainly that's not something he'd ask of me. And it makes our spiritual lives just really neat and tidy. The problem is that Jesus didn't come or invite us to serve in such a way that is neat and tidy. That's not what the Christian life is about. Not at all. It can actually be rather challenging and messy. Following Jesus doesn't fit nicely into a box. It calls us to to places that require us to get involved when we'd rather walk away, requires us to get our hands dirty when we'd really just rather not touch, if we're honest. And so we've said, this is what I'll do, and I won't do that. And we kind of live our lives in that way, thinking that we're right where we ought to be. But if we're going to take this passage seriously, we need to take on the mindset of Christ Jesus, who let go of his rights, who lived to serve, and came to meet the needs that he found around him, knowing how vile a death that was going to require of him to do. God shows us, friends, he shows us how to live. And this week and regularly after that, you're going to come face to face with the opportunity to take on the mind of Christ. To let the mindset of Christ Jesus influence who you are, what you're going to do, 
how you're going to live. We need to ask ourselves, what are the decisions that we're going to make in those contexts when we have that sort of opportunity? You can engage or you can determine that that's outside of the box for what God is asking you to do and walk the other way. You might tell yourself, well, if I don't meet this, somebody else is going to meet the need. You might justify to yourself, well, aren't there programs to help people like them? And they might actually find help from a program such as that. Here's the thing. You won't find the help that you need for your spirit and for your soul because you've refused to take on the mind of Christ. This is a requirement on us. This is serious stuff. I don't know how many times I've read this passage. My mind just kind of missed verse 5. It's like, Jesus is awesome. Look what he laid down. Look what he let go of. Way to go, Jesus. Go, Jesus. Team Jesus. We need to anchor it all in the introduction to that section that we would take on the mind of Christ. So all that you root for in who you see Jesus to be needs to be what we recognize Jesus is calling us to do and how he's calling us to live. God shows us how to live by sending us Jesus. May we be the people who live those lives. You're going to have the opportunity, maybe this day, certainly this week, and every week after. How are you going to respond? Will it be with the mind of Christ? Heavenly Father, thank you for this very penetrating passage Thank you for what it says. Help us to recognize it's not just here so we might celebrate Jesus as much as he deserves to be celebrated. Help us to recognize that the thing that would bring him most honor, most glory, is not that we would celebrate his amazing character, but that we might make that our own. Jesus came down to earth to show us what we needed to know, to live our lives in such a way that we would be engaged in who you called us to be. Lord, I pray that we would not be willing to just let go of that, to not set parameters of what's within the scope of what we're willing to do, of what would be right for us to do, and push other things away as somehow being beneath us or pushing it off because I don't need to meet that need. Those people shouldn't be in the need to begin with. It's their own fault. Help us to remember that we're in need of a Savior because it was our own fault. That we might learn generosity. That we might learn compassion. That we might be willing to take on the mindset of Christ Jesus let go of rights and live to serve and meet needs all around us. Or that's what Christmas ought to lead us to. Make us those people we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.